Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. And we're into extra time. Hey guys, welcome to Extra Time. I'm Sally Murphy. While the big talk this week has been Joseph Parker's WBO heavyweight title defence in Monaco, and the gloves are well and truly off. There's been a new contender in Romanian Razvan Kajanu, the fight's been moved to a much smaller venue and there's been heated discussions about changing contracts. But I asked our boxing reporter Matt Chatterton what we should expect in the ring. Razvan Kajanu is a Romanian, uh, you could almost call him a giant, he's, he's about two metres tall, he's, he's big, he is slightly intimidating, but at the end of the day he's ranked 14th by the WBO and that sort of speaks volumes about where he's fighting compared to Joseph who's the champion and Huey Fury was second in the WBO so it sort of shows the dif- difference in, in sort of skill or even I guess the yeah who, who this fighter is. It's probably not going to be as an exciting fight but at the end of the day it's it's another sort of I guess they'll say it's a stepping stone for Parker um, but when you compare it to what Anthony Joshua and Vladimir Klitschko's fight was like on the weekend it does sort of seem like a bit of a step back for Joseph Parker but fingers crossed he can go somewhere further uh, after this. Yeah you mentioned his size and it's clear to see when they're standing side by side he is quite a lot bigger eh? Mm, he is <laughs> he is a lot bigger um, he reminds me a lot of uh, Dimitrinko a fight that uh, Parker had about two fights ago go before his world title fight against Andy Ruiz. Uh, Dimitrenko was a big Ukrainian who Parker knocked out in four rounds and in all honesty I sort of expect the same uh, this weekend. But Kajanu's been pretty confident all week. I mean he's sparred with Parker. They've done mm, over yeah. sort of 200 rounds together. He knows Parker's style. Do you think that is actually going to be an advantage? Mm, it will be. It will be a slight advantage. But at the end of the day, boxing is a, a. There's just as much bark as there is bite in boxing. It's all about hype and getting people interested in the fight, which is why Kojanu has come out and been so outspoken this week. He seems like such a friendly, nice guy when he first arrived. But obviously, this week uh, things have changed, and they're trying to build the fight up for something that. I mean, it's been moved to the Vodafone Event Centre out of Monaco. Only three thousand people can sit there compared to about what 10 or 12,000 at where it was supposed to be at Spark Arena in downtown Auckland so it shows that the interest in this fight just isn't obviously quite there. Yeah I think it's fair to say that Juco have been scrambling and trying to hype this fight up. There's also been issues between Juco and Kajanu's camp. What were the problems with his contract? Yeah so this was an interesting one so um, when Huey Fury pulled out Juco went into damage control trying to find someone else to fill the fight for May 6th. They came up with Razvan Kajanu, who Parker had been sparring with in the lead-up to this fight with uh, Fury, and they called him and said, do you want to do this fight? He said, yep, I'll take a shot at a WBO World Heavyweight title. They, uh, Juko sent him a contract. Kojanu's camp signed the contract, sent it back. Juko didn't sign the contract because they forgot in between uh, them sending the contract and it coming back to them that they hadn't put a clause in there saying that if Joseph Parker was to lose on Saturday that he wouldn't get a rematch for his WBO World Heavyweight title. 
So obviously, given that it's taken 21 or 22 fights to get Parker to where he is, for them to all of a sudden lose it so quickly if he did go down, he would be back to square one. So they instead wrote up a new contract um, saying, no, we want a rematch clause written into it. So they did that. And they have also written in that they want to promote Kajanu's next three fights after this one. So, yeah, the boxing world can be a little bit sort of murky, to say the, <laughs> to say the least. So, there's yeah, there, there's a little bit of politics going on. They so, they solved it on Wednesday. They ended up signing. But there were threats even from Juco that if he wasn't happy with the agreement, he should just go back to America. But at the end of the day, they had a fight to uh, to make, and uh, it's going ahead. Yeah, a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes and a lot of politics. Mm. Do you think this whole Juco thing, I mean, from a, from the outside looking in, it looks very dramatic, constant drama, that sort of thing. Do you think it's a bad look for Joseph Parker to be associated with them? Yeah, good question. Juco have done a fantastic job of getting Joseph Parker to where he is. He is the WBO World Heavyweight title, and they should be commended for that. Unfortunately for Juco, they are a small fish in a relatively big pond. The world of boxing is massive in America and the UK and Europe. New Zealand, there's no interest in it here. You take a look at what the UK papers are saying after the Anthony Joshua fight with Vladimir Klitschko. No one knows who Joseph Parker is over there. So Juco have done a great job promoting him here and to an extent Australia and a little bit of America, but he, they, they need to find a way of getting him into that UK and Europe market where it will be lucrative and could make Joseph Parker a big name. Yeah, well, what do you think is next for Parker after this fight? You're pretty confident he's going to win. Do you think he'll try and get into those UK markets after this? He has to. There's no doubt about it. He has to get into that UK market and make a name for himself. Huey Fury is an op- was the opportunity to do that. It looks like he still is the opportunity if this mandatory fight for the WBO World Heavyweight title goes ahead. Uh, if not, there's another fella by the name of Tony Ballou, or Ballou who was a cruiserweight champion, lightweight heavyweight champion, moved up to the heavyweight, knocked out a guy named David Hay, who was quite well known in the UK and now thinks he's a big deal, but David Hay actually snapped his Achilles tendon while fighting him, and it was just a no contest after that, and Hay was winning the fight. It was quite gruesome, actually. But anyway, (laughs) Ballou thinks he's this big star now in the UK in the heavyweight boxing division. He's not, probably, but... It would be a good opportunity for Parker to possibly fight him, and that's how he could build his uh, name over there. So I'd say, yeah, I'd say this is probably going to be the last time we see Joseph Parker fight New Zealand for a good year or two. Parker will defend his title at the Vodafone Event Centre tomorrow, not far from where he began his boxing career at Papatoetoe Boxing. Grant Arkell set up the gym 26 years ago, taking boxers from 14 years old. But when Parker arrived, he was only 10. Arkell told Max Toll he's confident that Joseph Parker has bigger things ahead of him. He was here when he was 10, started when he was 10, turned pro at 19. Yeah, I read it in the Sunday Star Times that he was going pro and I didn't even know. And um, Anyway, uh, Bob Jones rang me up and he said, oh, I'm turning Joe pro. I said, you're a fool because he's not ready to go pro. He's still, still got a lot to do in the amateurs. He was doing very well in the amateurs overseas. Yeah. Won four, four good medals. Yeah. Beat the only New Zealand boxer to beat a Cuban. Pyre Wolfgram couldn't beat one. David Tua couldn't beat one. Shane Cameron didn't beat one. Joseph did. And uh, I really wanted him to go on to the Rio Olympics. But anyway, he made the decision to go pro. No, he, no, no, no. I'm, it's his decision. I just thought he went too early. But he's going well. Oh, he'll, he'll keep going. He's got a long way to go yet, but he's doing really good. He'll keep it flying. There's others coming through too that are going to 
be successful, you know. But uh, only only one in a few get through. It's um, it's not like rugby where you get a whole team going through. Have much to do with uh, Duco? Yeah, Duco's will probably operate more from overseas because Joseph, Joseph's going to have to move on. Yeah. He'll have to get into Europe or the States to further his career. I mean, I train there. And well, fight out of there too, I, I would say. I mean, I don't know. I haven't been told anything, but I can't see him fighting out of here for the rest of his days. It's the finances, you know. It costs a lot of money to put a, a fight on here, so... I was always thought he could do well. Right from when he won the medal in Singapore, I thought. How did he come to this gym in the first place? His father brought him to um, our old gym in Old Papatoe when he was ten. Him and John, his brother John, and uh, he was a little overweight boy that wasn't really interested. And he told me I'd rather be playing volleyball than doing this. But Dad told him to get back in here. And um, that promise came out over the years. Yeah. He always had uh, athletic ability, but he wasn't really keen on boxing when he started. But when he had success overseas, he realised that he had the talent and kicked him into gear and away he went. The other half of one of rowing's most successful combinations, Hamish Bond, says he's undecided on which sport he'll concentrate on in the future. Bond's peers partner, Eric Murray, has retired from rowing, bringing an end to the duo's unbeaten record of 69 races, which includes their two Olympic golds. Following the Rio Olympics, though, Bond switched to cycling and is about to head to Europe to further develop his cycling career. But Joe O'Brien spoke to Bond about his outstanding partnership with Eric Murray. We've made a decision to, to take 12 months away from the sport, uh, but obviously Eric is... Um, come to a decision about his future earlier than, than what we'd initially planned and, and, and I respect his, his decision, you know, if you're, if you're not excited and motivated by the prospect of, um, of training and, and, uh, and competing on a daily basis then, then there's no point um, putting yourself through it because you're not going to get the su- success you're after. And how would you describe the past eight years working with Eric? Yeah, I mean, overall, in terms of results, we've we've achieved have far exceeded anything that I dared to dream, um, and and that's been phenomenal. Our, our partnership has been founded on, I guess, a mutual respect of each other's abilities. Um, you know, Eric was capable of some some things physically which which I just couldn't match, and and that was, I guess, the beauty of our partnership. And that there was no dominant force. We we both had things that we were better at, and and different attributes that we. Bought to the table and uh, we were able to combine those into a, uh, a crew and combination that was perhaps better than uh, better than the parts themselves. And can you single out a highlight in that time, a proudest moment? Well I guess uh, it would have to be the London Olympics with our first gold medal. Um, you know to, to get it right on the day you have one day every four years for six minute six minute race where you have to make sure you turn it on so there's a lot of pressure associated with that uh, but the other mo- thing that we're most proud of I think is is the fact that we went you know 69 races over eight years unbeaten um, that takes an incredible amount of consistency and and what people perhaps well they may not understand is that the consistency of our results in racing was just born out of the consistency of the of the daily grind here at Lake Karapira you know it was that day in day out consistency in training um, which was reflected in our racing. 
And you're known to have quite contrasting personalities. And did, were there times when you did clash, when you wanted to throw them overboard? Uh, yeah, yeah, there were times that we didn't get on, but that's, I think, you know, that's part of any any relationship. You think of any business relationship, it's much the same. Uh, at the end of the day, any ideas or things that we clashed over, I guess it was just what that individual thought would make, uh, person would uh, thought would make us go faster come come race day. So when you look at it from from that um, perspective, and uh, it's just what what they'll think will make the boat go faster, then um, you know you, you learn to entertain each other's ideas. And and one thing we never did, you know, any disagreements we had on the water, we left it there. You know, once we got off the water and went home, um, we we sort of forgot about it and came back the next day fresh fresh to challenge again. And so what does this mean for your future? Are you going to stick with rowing or are you looking at cycling, perhaps the Commonwealth Games there? Um, yeah, I'll just see where, where it takes me. So I've, t- I've taken, I guess, the opportunity of 12 months away from rowing to uh, try and discover what my potential would be in cycling. Uh, I'm enjoying the process at the moment. I'm motivated and excited by what I'm doing. Uh, the training's a challenge, and uh, I'm heading overseas to the UK and Europe for a couple of months to, to continue that process, and, and, and hopefully I'll come back a better rider. And um, I just want to, uh, I guess, try and get a handle on how good I can be, and then I can make an objective decision, I guess, around uh, what, what I'm most excited by and, and where I think uh, I should put my efforts uh, going forward. So no immediate thoughts of retirement despite this announcement? No, I'm not I'm not going anywhere and, and, and announcing my retirement. I guess I see myself not necessarily as a rower or a cyclist, just as an athlete at the moment. Uh, so I happen to be an athlete that's cycling at the moment, but there's nothing to say I, I can't be an athlete that rows in the future. And what has cycling done for you mentally? After Rio you said you needed a break. and Has cycling helped in that department? Yeah, it certainly has. I mean, it's a, an incredibly supportive um, environment here at Lake Karapira, but it's also quite prescriptive. You know, you, you turn up, you do the work, and um, there's a successful formula that gets results. Uh, but I guess cycling has enabled me to be a little bit more of a master of my own destiny in some regards, and I've enjoyed that challenge, uh, uh, you know, sorting... Uh, things out for myself, um, working out the best way to, to go forward and, and drawing, trying to find the resources and, and people who will help me achieve the results that I want to achieve. Hamish Bond talking to Joe O'Brien. Tonight's rugby league match between New Zealand and Australia in Canberra will mark the final time the two sides play an Anzac test during the NRL regular season. But instead of recognising the two countries' close connections, the team's coaches have got into a war of words before the double header at Geo Stadium. Matt Chatterton has more. Cameron's missed a kickoff. The match hasn't even started, but the big hits are already underway in Canberra. The Kangaroos coach Mel Meninga has criticised the Kiwis camp in his weekly newspaper column titled, Where the Bloody Hell Are You? Meninga has claimed the Kiwis were nowhere to be seen in the lead-up to the match, while the Kangaroos have been fulfilling publicity requirements on their own. Meninga said there was an onus on both teams to promote the match, especially given it's in a World Cup year. Not one to back down from a challenge, Kiwis coach David Kidwell addressed Meninga's comments while awkwardly sitting right next to him at the coach's press conference. I'm the same with Mel, you know, we want international football to be at the pinnacle. 
and you know we'll, we'll do our part. Um, but the, the best part we can do is uh, to have a great game on Friday night, and I think that's where our focus has got to be. While the coaches are happy to enter a verbal sparring session, the players themselves are more focused on the numbers. With 99 wins against New Zealand, Australia aiming to become the first international team in rugby league history to win 100 tests against an opponent. On top of that, Captain Cameron Smith will become just the second Australian to wear the green and gold jumper 50 times behind Darren Lockyer. Smith says he's incredibly honoured to reach the milestone. I've been very lucky along the way. I think I've mentioned that all week that um, I'm very fortunate to be able to wear the jersey so many times. But um, yeah, as far as my preparation is concerned, it hasn't really been about the number of test matches that I'll play. It's just been about you know, where the team's at with our, with our prep physically and mentally, uh, where we need to be to have a chance of, of playing well and, and winning the Test match. While Australia recognises the great achievements of their captain, tonight will mark the revival of one of New Zealand's most polarising players. Having last played for New Zealand in 2011, Russell Packer thought his NRL and representative career was all but over when he was convicted of assault in 2014, but he's been given a second chance, starting at prop in tonight's match. The 27-year-old says he's been incredibly lucky. A lot of hard work and I've had a lot of support behind me from my family. I guess like it's probably a little bit of reward for everyone along the way as well for me to you know, be recognised and be able to re- represent my country again. Also returning for the Kiwis after a two-year self-enforced hiatus is former captain Simon Mannering, as well as Warriors first five Kieran Foran. Tonight's match will be the final mid-year test between the two with a revamp of the international schedule underway. It'll also be the final time the two sides play one another before the World Cup later this year. Tonight's doubleheader will start with the women's Australian team, the Jillaroos, taking on the Kiwi Ferns at 7.30. Matt Chatterton reporting. Headaches for All Blacks hooker Dane Coles could also create headaches for All Blacks coach Steve Hansen as the injury toll among his veteran forwards is continuing to mount. Coles is facing a battle to be match fit for the British and Irish Lions tour after it was revealed he's suffering concussion symptoms. And he's not the only one sidelined at the moment with All Blacks skipper Kieran Reid suffering a broken thumb and loose forward Jerome Kano suffering from a knee injury. Experience is fast disappearing from the All Blacks forward pack. But All Black selector Grant Fox told our sports editor Stephen Hewson they've already identified backup potential in every position if first and second choice players are not available. It'll certainly be that. And yeah, look, experience is critical at that level. We understand that. I mean, you know, when we're picking a group, you know, form's important to us, but there are two bits of form we judge. One is, you know, what's happening in Super Rugby, which is, which is now. And, um, you know, um, all black form, which was in the recent past last year with us, because that's a proven quantity at that level. So, you know, it's a blend in the two when we're assessing form and and picking a group. Um, you know, but it is what it is. I mean, we can't control injuries, and they are what they are. And you know, if they happen to not be available, well, you know, um, we'll just roll up our sleeves and get on with it. It's not like we don't have options. I mean, loose forward in particular is a position where there's lots of depth in New Zealand rugby. So, you know, if they happen not to be available, it'll just be someone else's opportunity. And as I said, I think we've got a very smart coaching group and they've proven that over the last few years and very adept at, um, you know, blooding you guys. And if that's the case, then that's the case. We'll just get on with it. You're not averse to doing that in a a Lions series? Well, if you don't have a choice, you don't have a choice, do you? So, 
you know, if they're not available, then, um, you know, you, and you've got nowhere else to go, that's just what happens. So, um, you know, but it wouldn't matter what series, um, to be honest. It would, you know, experience is critical regardless, and there's enough quality test rugby sides around the world that, you know, while we've got a good record, you know, we've been challenged seriously in the last, last number of years and got through some tight ones and, you know, only last year didn't get through a tight one. So wouldn't matter who we were playing, really. The Lions will be a different challenge and an exciting challenge because you don't get to do it very often. Um, but as I said, you know, we can't control injuries. Um, they are what they are. And, you know, when we come to pick a group, um, we'll have to pick, you know, the guys who are standing and get on with it. Look, we're always um, planning for what-if scenarios, so we're always, you know, looking at who's next. Um, you know, at least a couple down um, in in all the positions, and so that just crystallises it a bit more. But there's always planning done around those what-ifs um, in every position. Are you satisfied with where you're at? What we, I mean, sort of paper on paper, I suppose, penciled players in and all that sort of stuff. I mean, are you close to a what? obviously putting aside these sort of injury yep. situations as to where you wanted to be? Yeah, we are close. I mean, yes, there are some contestable areas, as there should be. Um, but, you know, we wouldn't have done our job, you know, um, very well over the last couple of years if, if you know, we had women of 33 we were going to pick if we had 24 we weren't sure about, you know. So we've got quite a bit of clarity around, um, you know, um, most positions. Um, there are, you know, um, two or three contestable areas. Um, that we're drilling down um, into the contenders and we've got some good depth and some good options in those areas and I'm not going to download where they are and obviously injuries um, you know, are forming part of um, some of the discussions at the moment and you know, unfortunately we'll probably get another one or two before we pick a group and you know, have to you know, look into those what-if scenarios with the players that we've talked about and, and if that's the case they'll get an opportunity and as I said you just get on with it. All Black selector Grant Fox talking to Stephen Hewson. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for this week. I'm Sally Murphy. Follow us on Twitter for more sporting updates throughout the week on RNZ Sport. Have a great weekend. Head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.